At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. This is a message from our sponsor, Sprout Studio. You're listening to the Great Big Photography World podcast, and so you love photography. If you're trying to make photography your career, I'm sure you know how important business is to be successful as a photographer. I get it. My name is Brian Capricci, and I've been a professional wedding and portrait photographer for 15 years. Seven years ago, I had the idea for what is now Sprout Studio. Sprout Studio is a studio management suite that gives you everything you need to run your business in one place. A CRM, galleries, email marketing, scheduling, bookkeeping, and more. 2020 has been hard. We want to help you get back on your feet. And that starts with getting organized, streamlining your communications, and leveling up the customer experience that you give your clients. This Black Friday, for the first and last time ever, you can save 30% for up to three years. And you'll also get a redo 2020 package. We've basically built a photography business in a box for you with all the tools, the templates, and the strategies to help you reset 2020 and start 2021 on the right foot. We've already helped tens of thousands of photographers around the world with all of this, and we'd love to help you too. The best part is that you don't have to wait until Black Friday to make an impulse decision. Hop on over, start a trial today, so that come Black Friday, you're confident in your decision. Visit sproutredo.com slash podcast to learn more and make 2021 your best year yet. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. Are any of you interested in taking photos of stars? If you said yes, then you'll love this episode. Astrophotographer Matt Diederich and I talk about his adventure-filled photography workshops, why he got into this genre, tips on how to master astrophotography, and much more. Please enjoy. 
Hey, Matt. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Please feel free to introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me. My name is Matt Dieterich, and I'm an astrophotographer from Pennsylvania. Wonderful. And I am a big fan of your work. It's absolutely beautiful. And I assume that the camera equipment that you use to take photos of the night sky is very specific. What lenses, cameras, and other accessories do you use? Yeah, what I've learned over the years that the fast focal ratio lenses are really what helps me, you know, capture a lot of detail in the night sky. So F14 lenses, whether it be a, a 24 millimeter that I have, I use a lot of for my shots, or a Nikon 14 to 24 millimeter, and that's an f2.8. So I guess f2.8 is kind of the minimum focal ratio that I like shooting with, and wide angle lenses like that. 14 millimeter really give me some good wide angle shots and you could even do cool shots with you know 50 millimeter lenses and get higher magnification and it's those are kind of the the three lenses in my repertoire that i i shoot the most with and um but the focal ratio is definitely key Um, don't want to go with anything slower than f 2.8 especially if you're not tracking the night sky with one of the little tracking mounts. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, that's a good thing to keep in mind. And clearly astrophotography is very technical. I personally don't know very much about the genre, even though I would love to, but I imagine that the settings and everything, it just, it's probably very complicated. And I'm sure many of the listeners don't know very much about that either. What should an absolute beginner like me keep in mind when photographing the night sky? So when I started, it's, I can't believe it's already been 15 years that I've been in that hobby of astrophotography. But what I've learned is, just like with a lot of things, to keep it simple. So when I shoot, I leave the ISO usually with my full frame around 5,000 to 6,400. So I, I shoot pretty high ISO and I always keep my aperture as fast as I can. So you know, if I'm using that f2.8 lens, I keep it at f2.8. So, you know, when I can keep that setting constant, then I'm only going to be changing my shutter speed. And when I shoot, if I'm doing a nightscape, which is a photograph that has the night sky with, say, a, a landscape, you know, they call those nightscape images. A lot of times I will shoot 15 second photos with that 24 millimeter lens. So if you can just try starting out around ISO 6400. If you have a camera that's capable of doing that high, then that's a great ISO to try to test at. And shutter speeds of anywhere from 15 seconds to 30 seconds, depending on the lens focal length, because you'll get the night sky starting to trail in the images because the earth is turning. So usually 30 second photos are what the maximum exposure length I'll shoot, but you want a tripod and you want to have a cable release, what's called an intervalometer. And that lets you set a photo and you don't have to touch the camera and cause vibrations. So that's one of the very important things to have a a tripod and, you know, kind of keeping that ISO around 6,400 and always can adjust and tweak the settings. But if you start with a 15 second photo ISO 6400 and you know do that for 15 seconds at that f1.4 at a good dark sky location 
the night sky is going to be well exposed and then you can edit it and really bring out cool detail. Mm -hmm. That's a great answer. And you mentioned ISO. I know a lot of people are terrified of using higher ISO numbers. What would you say to those people? Yeah. So I guess the physics behind the cameras and ISO, most people possibly know is the higher the ISO, the less dynamic range that you actually have. So the less mm -hmm. color you can actually record. So it's 100% a trade-off with using a high ISO. But for me, when I do high, high ISO, I'm doing that so I can record shorter exposures so the night sky, the stars in the night sky, don't trail. You know, you start to get the star trailing if you have longer exposures. So I try to kind of keep those to the 15-second photos and, and minimum from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You also host workshops in national parks, deserts, and other exciting places. The workshops range from four to seven days, and I bet they're very immersive and very fascinating. What do you usually do with your students during this time? Yeah, so with the workshops, my goal is to help people experience the outdoors and come away with awesome photos that they hopefully print and can share with people or sell. But you know, when I started to experience good night skies that are away from city lights, it instantly wanted, you know, me to share it with other people. You know, the whole time I've been in this hobby, I've wanted to teach people and share the experience. So that's why I took a camera and connected it to a telescope to take photos. So on the photography workshops, you know, we capture landscapes, night skies, lifestyle shots, anything that can tell the story about the adventure, the adventure behind being in a national park or just outside in nature in general. That's what I want my workshop students to walk away with. And it's something that I've been so excited about developing on my website is actually building workshops up because I've had so many folks ask about them that you know, this year I've been able to actually put a lot of time into developing an itinerary for them, figuring out locations and networking with other photographers that might want to join me on workshops. So the goal is just to get people outdoors and have fun because we all know what it's like being outside chasing a sunset or sunrise or the night sky. The, the emotion and the excitement to me is so contagious that in a group setting, we all can relate to that excitement on a workshop. So I that's one of the big reason why I just want to pass on, I guess, the little bit of knowledge I've gained over the last 15 years and get someone else involved in photography so they can pass on the knowledge in due time as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is wonderful. And I think that also helps with gaining confidence as a photographer, because when you work in a group, especially in a group of where somebody, you in this case, knows a lot about photography, there's less fear of making mistakes because then you instantly have someone you can come to and ask questions. And yeah. yeah, I just think it's a great and healthy environment for photographers, especially in a genre like this. Yeah. I remember reading, or actually I was watching a YouTube video. Mark Denny is, does incredible landscape photography YouTube videos and has gained so many accolades over the years with his down to earth style of his YouTube videos, but he's a great teacher. And what he mentioned was, don't invest in $5,000 or $2,000 worth of new equipment. He was saying one of the best decisions people can make in the hobby is actually to invest that in learning, in going on a workshop 
and I fully related to that video he made because, and I'm not sure if he, he offers workshops, but in his opinion, like you were saying, when you join workshops, you're able to learn so many tips and tricks and techniques that it might take you a year or two years to finally develop and learn on your own, which is totally awesome as well. But had I taken a workshop when I was younger and had the chance, you know, I would have maybe learned quicker and reduced the learning curve, especially with astrophotography. So all I mean by all this is that workshops are such a great way for people to learn new techniques very quickly. And of course, you're building memories when you're out in the field. It's it's a very exciting opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. I agree with you completely. And I agree with what you said about workshops. I think it's very important to have a mentor. And I emphasize this a lot in, in other episodes. But I think in general, it's important to have somebody you can look up to, somebody preferably who can actually speak to you directly, who knows your work, mm -hmm. who sees how you progress with time as an artist. And I think workshops are one of the best ways to find someone like that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you develop lifelong friends. I mean, there's there's been folks that I've done workshops for and they still send me photos to check out and they're still adventuring around taking photos. And the one gentleman is in his 80s. He's like 84 years old and mm. still traveling and adventuring. The guy's been to a lot of countries and I'm just very fortunate because you can learn a lot from your students. And I think that's a key takeaway from a teacher mindset is let your students teach you as well. And I mean, that's something I take away from even in my days teaching in the classroom of you can learn so much from someone else, even if you do have a title of a teacher. You know, the learning goes both ways. Absolutely. Yeah, I think in any area of your life, if you have a lot of experience as a photographer in general and somebody comes to you for advice, you can still learn from them. As you said, you can still, yeah. I mean, even if it's just seeing the photography from a different perspective, sometimes they mm -hmm. see young photographers who have only been shooting for a year or so or even less. They're so enthusiastic, and it reminds me of my enthusiasm back when I was still very inexperienced as a photographer. And it's just yeah. very refreshing to see that, very refreshing to be reminded yeah. of that. So even that alone can be very fulfilling. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. In some cases, it's possible to take great photos of the night sky from your own backyard. I love that aspect of astrophotography. It seems to be quite accessible to most people in that way. If someone wants to become an astrophotographer or if they simply want to experiment with it for fun, is there any affordable equipment they can invest in? I think that is one of the biggest changes that I've seen since starting the hobby 15 years ago. The affordability of the equipment now is leaps and bounds beyond what it was 15 years ago. You know, I've Back in the day, I needed to get an expensive digital camera because the Canon EOS Rebel, the first one that came out, was the main affordable DSLR that was available. And I was jumping from film to digital. So I think even a camera, though, at the time was, you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. So that was out of my budget. But nowadays, the cameras you can get, and I always recommend people get used equipment, you know, whether it's you know, online or uh, forums, you can always find good used camera equipment and telescope equipment. A lot of times the camera gear and telescope gear is very well cared for. And a lot of times people don't end up using it as much. So it kind of just stays there like new in box, <laughs> essentially sometimes. Mm -hmm. But 
I started from just taking photos in my backyard with a, um, I had a telescope and I wanted to show people what I was seeing through the telescope. And the photos could reveal more than the human eye can just because camera sensors are more sensitive. But I recommend just, you know, a digital camera that you can put lenses on. So whether it's a mirrorless or just standard DSLR in a lens, you know, a 24 millimeter lens, a 14 millimeter lens and a tripod. I mean, something as simple as that, you can be on a budget of 500 to, you know, a thousand dollars and really get yourself set up with good used equipment that can capture amazing night sky images. And then you can build your editing techniques up and, and learn from there to grow your skills and, you know, buy new equipment as you find that you have advanced beyond what your current equipment lets you. So I think that's, you know, the affordability of equipment now for astrophotography, whether it be a telescope or a tracking mount or just as simple as a camera and a tripod and a lens. Mm-hmm. It, well, it's opened that is up very a lot good news. For... <laughs> yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it's it's opened up a lot of opportunity, and I see a lot of younger people on Instagram that are doing astrophotography. I think there's one guy I follow. He's like 12 years old, and the guy's doing incredible work and wow. inspiring so many other people. I mean, that's that gets me excited and stoked that younger people, 12 years old, <laughs> that are doing astrophotography with a telescope. Yeah, it's super exciting that the equipment has become more affordable now, and it's opened up more younger people to become you know, astrophotographers, even from right in their backyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's very good news for astrophotography enthusiasts, including myself. So thank you for sharing that information. It's very encouraging. Mm-hmm. A few Absolutely. years after you became a photographer, you studied geology and planetary science, which I think are really cool subjects. I bet those topics give you a powerful understanding of nature. I'm curious to know why you chose to study those subjects instead of, say, photography exclusively. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think as a kid, I remember being on road trips, you know, going from Pittsburgh up into Ohio, where my grandparents lived in. In western Pennsylvania, you have a lot of rolling hills in what are called road cuts. Road cuts are just cuts through the mountainside that expose the rock faces. and on the highway, you see that. And I saw all these like layers of rock. I mean, you see all these stacked layers and they all look so different. And that's one of the earliest memories I have of, I was intrigued by why the earth looked the way it did. And Mm -hmm. I soon to come out, there's a field called geology that studies that and studies the processes that change the earth. So that was something that I had a class in my environmental science undergrad about geology. And I found that one to be the most intriguing because of, you know, when I was younger, I just loved understanding why do the outdoors look the way they do? You know, why is Pennsylvania so different than California or any of these different states and globally? I always loved learning about the outdoors and the physical sciences the most in school. So um, Mm -hmm. the photography was always a hobby and a way to I guess, share my passion for geology and science through my uh, astrophotography. And, you know, I learned a little bit more about landscape photography just to try to share some of that interest as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you are a very good example of somebody who can merge different interests and still pursue both interests in a healthy way without stressing yourself out because you're a very good astrophotographer and landscape photographer. 
you're also very good at all the knowledge that you've accumulated over the years. So I think that's uh, might be very encouraging for some of the listeners who, you know, are juggling various interests and are not sure what exactly to, well, which direction to go in essentially. Yeah. And I've definitely struggled a lot with it when I was younger in undergrad of, you know, am I in college isn't obviously for everyone. I mean, I, I was questioning whether I should even be in college or if I should just go, go work or do something like that. But, you know, I'm glad I stuck it out, you know, for the four years and then went on and did my master's because I had an opportunity to study geology at the university. And I always ask to mentors and people online to astrophotography forums about <laughs> where can I go to grad school that has good dark skies? Like I was relating where I can go to school <laughs> to maybe where I could do the astrophotography. And it's like looking back, I knew that was that was probably a telling sign of do I really want to go to grad school or do I just want to go somewhere cool and take photos of the night sky? So it's, it was <laughs> yeah. kind of a funny thing to look back. But I, I had a lot of folks say that, you know, some people might say that if you make your passion your or your hobby your passion or your living, then sometimes then it can kind of turn sour and, and then you start losing um, the excitement for it. And I definitely can agree with that. And, you know, you can get burned out. I think every photographer and artist deals with that maybe at some point in their life of not feeling inspired to create or, you know, take photos and edit. And I, I go through cycles of that just because whether work gets busy or, you know, in the summertime, I want to be outside, you know, adventuring and not inside on the computer. You know what I mean? So it's, mm -hmm. but then I always come back to it. You know, the hobby has always been there for me and it, it has turned into a career path of seeing how other people really enjoy this stuff as well. And I just think that's the human nature and, and psychology of, of how I guess humans can, you know, evolve and change and, and learn about a subject. But if it means something to you, it'll kind of keep, you know, you'll, you'll keep coming back to it. And for me, the night sky and astronomy was something that I was just so curious about and kept coming back to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it seems like you have a very good relationship with photography and with all the knowledge that you pursue. And I think it's a good example for anyone who's listening, who's sort of struggling with that, with what you struggled yeah. with in the past. So I think it's very important to keep in mind that it can get tiring and you can get burned out if you yeah. suddenly turn your hobby into a full-time job. Or, I mean, you really have to think about these things and make sure that yeah. it's the direction you really want to go in. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I think it's you know, whether everyone has different financial requirements, you know, some people might have very minimal debt, you know, no student loans or, you know, car payments, certain things that it can open up avenues where your photography business can be operating on a lower, you know, margin and you can be doing what you love. So I think that's one thing when I look back that if anyone is, is wanting to, or dreaming about, you know, having their own business, I mean, I think that's a huge thing. Set yourself up for success and knock down as much debt as you can because with minimal debt, your photography can go further and you can go pay for trips to go and learn about more shooting techniques on workshops or you could just have more flexibility. And I guess that's so general speaking, but a lot of folks know that you know when you do this sort of business that you do it because you love it and not because you're you want to become a millionaire. <laughs> there's probably yeah. a select few that do but we do it because we love it and we want other people to share our creative vision and be inspired so i think that's a big thing for folks 
you know, maybe wanting to dive in and, and open their own business. But just, you know, it, it definitely seems like um, there's a lot of that growth out there and opportunity make it um, possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very important to be wise, especially on a business level. You have to be realistic as well, but you also have to believe in yourself. So it's a matter of balancing both of those sides, I think. Yeah, it definitely. Mm-hmm. I agree. You install telescope observatories for astrophotographers, researchers, and university clients around the world, which isn't something that every astrophotographer does. I imagine that you've had some pretty memorable experiences doing these things. Where did you get the idea to do this? So I, I guess that goes back to how I got into photography. I, you know, I got a telescope when I was in the eighth grade or ninth grade, I think. And then eventually wanted to take photos through the telescope to show people what I was seeing. And that's when I realized that you got to get a camera and, and do that. So I got a film camera because I couldn't afford digital. I, I had no success <laughs> through the film camera with a telescope. <laughs> but I loved learning. And that's, that was the hobby I kept coming back to over the years was the telescope side, was taking a telescope and a camera in a mount that tracks the Earth's rotation so you can get long exposures of you know galaxies, nebulae, star clusters, comets, all kind of cool stuff. And setting up the equipment, the telescope equipment, you need to have a computer, you need to have the telescope gear and the camera. And then the other fun bit was editing the data. You take as many photos as you can of the same object, and then you do what's called stacking. You, you stack the images and it helps reduce noise. I know we talked about the high ISO noise. That stacking helps remove the noise and bring out faint details. So just learning, for me, that was very methodical. And, and it, I guess it worked well with my brain of, of combining computers and the artistic side of editing and being hands-on with setting the equipment up. So, you know, over the years, I eventually just still continued that passion for telescopes and observatory equipment that are observing the universe in the night sky. And I eventually networked with some companies that made the equipment and I put together pitch decks to them because I wanted to get out of the oil and gas industry for geology. And I wanted to get into the telescope side and and kind of change my career path. So I created a few pitch decks and I pitched it to a few companies and I stayed in touch with those companies. And the one you know, finally gave me a job offer. And, you know, it's, it was something that I look back realizing how fortunate I was and never forget the day that that job offer came through because it was 12, 13 years in the making of playing with astronomy equipment outside my house as a, as a kid in, you know, high school. So I thought that was just a fun way to try to use photography and, and get more people involved and, the photography route helps do that when you can share your images and whether it be night sky or any kind of genre. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. 
I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Wow, that is fascinating. And you mentioned photo stacking. I'd love to know more about your editing workflow, especially when it comes to that technique. And do you think that every astrophotographer should master this? I guess it always depends on the end goal of someone's photography, but there's always new techniques that we can learn and try to challenge ourselves to grow via. And stacking is an incredible way to do that because when you stack images, you are increasing what's called signal to noise. Signal meaning the light from the object, whether it's, you know, the Milky Way or something in the night sky, and then you reduce the noise. And all that means is your images will pop. You know, you'll get that very vibrant, high detailed resolution image and the stacking allows that to occur. And there's software you can do that. Okay. You mentioned photo stacking, and I'd love to know more about your editing workflow, especially when it comes to that technique. Should every photographer master this? I think stacking is a great way to improve detail in the night sky. For all my photos of like the deep space objects, which are you know your galaxies, nebulae, star clusters with a telescope, um, or even just a camera lens on a tracking mount, uh, you know, to do some wide-angle shots of the night sky. You can stack those images and create high-resolution photos that way. So I absolutely encourage folks to try stacking, and you'll be able to create such cool high-resolution shots. But stacking is not 100% necessary for astrophotography. Uh, you know, say the nightscape imaging that I like to do a lot of. The reason I do nightscape imaging is because it's simple and, and can be as little as just using the camera lens and a tripod. So the editing workflow I do for nightscapes is I like to remove some of the, the vignetting that the lenses have. And then I like to go ahead and uh, selectively pick the night sky because in a long exposure, the night sky will kind of be brighter actually than it was when you're there at night <laughs> because it's a long exposure. So I like to take the night sky and I selectively mask that and I like to darken it and kind of create it to a darkness level of what I felt like I observed that night. And then sometimes you can brighten up the ground, the foreground a little bit, but you can add saturation to boost a little bit of the color in the night sky in some of those objects. And then a lot of times the last little bit I do is a little what's called star reduction. When you reduce the size of the stars, surprisingly, it mm. makes the Milky Way stand out more. So it kind of puts the focus on to the Milky Way if you're imaging the Milky Way that night as opposed to the stars because you could be so filled with st stars in the photos that they just kind of become overwhelming, which is so cool. But that's kind of a little artistic kind of final touch I do on my photos just to make the Milky Way pop a little more than the stars in the background. But nightscape imaging can be super basic and you can edit photos within you know, 10, 15 minutes and have a finished product ready that you could print and share and sell at art shows or something like that. So it doesn't have to take you 
five, 10, 15 hours to edit a photo, like some of the deep space uh, astrophotography photos can really take quite a few hours to edit and combine all the photos and stack. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, that's good to know. It's good that there are options for different kinds of photographers, because I know that some people prefer editing for long hours, while others shy away from it. And it's good that <laughs> yeah. astrophotography is very inclusive in that sense. Yeah, I've seen absolutely some is. I've seen some before and after photos on your Instagram, and it's amazing the difference. I mean, it's clear that you put so much work into the editing process as well. It's pretty spectacular, the before and after. And it's I, I really like showing those. I think it's important for education so people can see what does it look like just straight out of the camera with, say, a 30-second exposure and then what does it look like side by side with the final edited photo? And I think it, it gives people perspective on what comes out of the camera versus what is the final artistic photo. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I like that very much. And I know that some photographers would maybe shy away from that because it would give away the beauty of the, <laughs> I don't know, you know, yeah. some people are scared of that. They're scared of oh, showing sure. the original yep. raw files. And that's fine too, but it's cool when photographers like you actually show both sides. Because what that means is people who are beginners, especially, they don't feel like they're somehow failing and they see the reality yeah, and yeah. they know what to expect in their photo shoots. Yeah. And that's great. I admire that a lot. So thank uh, you for sharing yeah. your before and afters with people. You've spent thousands of hours improving your astrophotography, as you mentioned on your website. What is the most valuable lesson you've learned throughout this process? Well, I think it's that the fact that it's such a global hobby, I think that's one of the coolest things that I've learned and just the fact that you get more people involved in it and you just want to share the passion I think is the biggest thing and there's nothing like being out under the night sky you know photographing it I think that's it, it's a special experience that obviously I want more people to get out and enjoy mm -hmm. yeah that's a wonderful answer on your blog you wrote an article about the beauty of silence and how it's important to embrace it in a fast-paced world I love that message is there anything else we should do to balance our lives a little bit more? Yeah, that's, just, that's a deep question, that's for sure. I remember when I was writing that, um, that blog article, and I, I guess it's already been five years since I did that, but that was when I was working at, at Mount Rainier National Park. And that was the first time that I had that amount of time to myself, and I wasn't in a bigger city. And I wasn't in the suburbs. And there was such a lack of noise you know, no cars honking, no city life sounds, that sort of thing. So it was, to me, actually, it was quite overwhelming, <laughs> the lack of noises that you're so used to on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But when you get out into areas that are quiet, like some national parks can be, it's, you know, your mind really starts to think. And, and I think a lot of times that that's good. It's good to let it just wander and let it do its thing. And that was a time in my life where I really was able to, um, I was learning and reading more about Zen Buddhism, ironically, and it was all about present moment. You know, how do you enjoy the present moment more? Because that was one thing throughout grad school that I struggled with was how fast paced it was in, in the expectations of, you know, living up to the, the professors and the teachers and all that. It was, it was just so overwhelming that I got into learning about, you know, the Zen Buddhism present moment stuff to try to really enjoy that experience being in the national park and 
and being around people when we did our astronomy programs and teaching. And it turned into such an amazing turning point in my life of realizing that I love teaching and wanting other people to enjoy this stuff and seeing just the reactions of other people. That silence in national parks and in general of having minimal time on the electronics and cell phones and all that can help us. I I guess for me, it can help reduce anxiety and, and depression and of course make people so much more appreciative of, I guess, some of the little things. And to me, it's just something as little as, you know, watching nature and the clouds pass or something like that. That's kind of hard to describe without taking someone there and experiencing it who might have spent their whole life in a city and doesn't know what it's like to be away from, you know, certain situations and be outside in nature. But nature is a great healer, I think. And it's part of the human experience that I I would love more people to be involved in and just experience if they can. And I think that's where the mentors come in, like you said, of getting people outdoors and help balance your life that way. Of There's a lot of toxic things that could be going on and getting into nature can help breathe a little bit of fresh air into our souls <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. That's a very wholesome answer. And I can really relate to what you said, because when you're on your phone constantly on your computer, I mean, most of us are, most of the listeners probably have to spend time on their phones all the time because of work or whatever it is. Yeah, it yeah. does get overwhelming, even if it's a part of our daily routine. It's, I don't think it's natural, really. I think it's more natural to be out in nature, obviously. It's more natural to yeah. be out, maybe even with your camera taking pictures than staring at your phone all day. So it can be yeah. very healing to just be silent and to give yourself moments of silence, even if you can't afford that privilege for the whole day, for example. Yeah, there's much improvement that I still need to do to kind of get back to that. You know, I I think about that time five years ago where I had three and a half to four months, you know, living in a national park and it's realizing that not everyone has that opportunity. I mean, I know how special that is. And of course, everyone has their own little monumental steps in their life that they can look back saying that this is where I, you know, I did a lot of self um, reflection to understand who you are and what you want to do in life. And nature is always going to be there for you, right? I mean, there's, of course, a lot of destruction and that sort of thing going on with forest fires and things like that, that, you know, we see nowadays. And it's unfortunately a natural thing that fires have to come through and it's going to bring new life to the area, even though you know, human lives were lost. I mean, it's horrible seeing that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of amazing that nature can give and take, of course, sadly, but, you know, we can make people's lives so much better by being good listeners and sharing um, our passions and, and asking them what they're passionate about. I think that's another key to balance of, you know, if we can, you know, I spend way too much time on my phone as it is with the social media and stuff like that. And that's, I guess, the nature of trying to promote a business, right? You mm-hmm. try to get your work out there and there's a lot of competition and but there's a lot of opportunity as well. And I think the balance is key. And uh, I guess there's real no reason to race in that sort of thing. You could slow down, settle, you know, settle down and make sure that you kind of follow your your passions while still trying to live a balanced life. Because it's easy to kind of go to one end of the extreme or the other and um, kind of go away from that balance point. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really like what you said about that. And I completely agree with you. It's important to balance it out. And unfortunately, we can't always do what we want to do. So sometimes we're 
stuck on social media or we're stuck on in our business or whatever it is we can't really go out as much as we would like to maybe so i think a great way to overcome that is to just give yourself let's say 10 minutes of just quiet time where you just let your mind wander as you said and appreciate Mm -hmm. everything around you appreciate the sensations and i think even a little bit of that every day can help you a lot in the long run yeah yeah i think like you said if with you know the sensations, whether it be you remember sitting listening to a friend and I, Irene, or we sat after a hike and just we tried to count the sounds that we heard, whether it be mm. you know a bird or something in the woods snapping a twig or the wind, and kind of counting what we think. And I think we did that with our eyes closed, and you know you really start to just kind of focus on your breathing. I mean that's that was one of the huge things about that present moment book was follow your breath in and out. I mean, if you focus on something like that, so basic that we don't even think about how appreciate how much our breath is for us. I mean, it's keeping us alive. It's, it's amazing how following your breath can help you come back to the present moment and really experience being by that lake or, you know, even if you're at your house being by, you know, at your house with your dogs or your family, there's following your breath was one cool thing that I remember reading in that book. And he was a, a Buddhist monk, I believe, is the one that he wrote that stuff. So it was a cool learning experience that I really would love to do more of. And I myself need to get back to doing more of that. I fully can appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm glad we talked about this because it's a good reminder for everybody, including myself, and I'm sure the listeners as well, and you. So yeah, we should all just uh, be more mindful from now on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it takes practice. Oh. I know that yes, sure. of course. Of course it takes practice. Yeah, I mean, social media, there's always notifications going off. There's always someone calling or whatever it is. I mean, you can't escape yep. that. Sometimes it's our obligation, it's responsibilities and stuff. So I don't think it's a matter of trying to erase that all from your life because that's usually impossible. It's just a matter of dealing yeah. with it and also giving yourself room and space to breathe. And I think that can help you a lot as a photographer. It can help you feel more fulfilled. It can give you more ideas and inspiration, help you connect with mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. It can. And, you know, then when you look back at your portfolio over the years, you it brings back up those cool memories and feelings that you had. And uh, everyone evolves as an artist. I think that's one of the coolest things that you can you can look at people's work and you can see how it maybe changes as they go through different life changes, you know, throughout the course of what they experience. So that's that's a monumental thing, I think, that um, art allows us to do. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing and a wonderful privilege. Okay, my last question for you is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? Oh, geez, that's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think when I look back, I I mean, I, I'm just extremely humbled by, you know, I can always strive and try to achieve higher and higher and higher. And I can only control what I can with improving my photography and trying to send out a worthwhile message with the photography, whether it be the photographs hopefully have a meaning to protect a resource. And that's what I started. The reason for the hobby was to educate for what we have in the night sky and in nature and try to get more people to experience it because in cities with light pollution, it's something that we can experience with millions of people in big cities. So, you know, I think as a career goal, it's just to continue that effort of, conservation and education, uh, promote the photography. And I want 
I realized over the years that, of course, it's adding in the human element. I want to build relationships with other people that love the photography and that you might change their life by you know, sharing a photograph with them. You know, so there's little things like that that do happen on a daily basis that you can make someone's life better with a photograph and bring them joy. So I think that's, for me, I just want to continue sharing the images and, you know, continue having people in the field on workshops to help inspire and help them achieve their goals. And I'm right now I'm at the point of wanting to be a mentor and, and teach and share and just pass on what I've enjoyed doing. And I want someone else to kind of pick that up and, and run with it. And you never know what big things that they'll do with their photography or in their career. So I think that's what I would like to do with it. And it's always fun being outside in nature. I think that's hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I really love that answer. And I'm sure that you will achieve all of your goals because you're so determined and you already have so much talent. I have no doubt that you will reach all of your goals in no time. Well, that means a lot. And it's it's obviously an honor to be in such a exciting time for the hobby. It absolutely is. There's a lot of cool technology and, and good challenges that uh, give us mm -hmm. cool photographs to explore and share. Yeah, so many opportunities. It's very cool and very inspiring for even beginners or advanced photographers. I mean, whoever you are, wherever you live, you can pursue this genre and you can get better and maybe turn it into a business or pursue it as a hobby and you can really thrive. Mm -hmm. That's, I 100% agree. There's so many ways to get in this hobby. You know, if you don't have the financial means, you know, try to see if someone has a camera you can borrow or a lens. I mean, there's ways to do that. Find used equipment. You don't need the best and brightest equipment because it's all about the technique. It's all about being under good skies and, you know, doing the research to try to catch a shot under the conditions that you want. So, but yeah, the perseverance, I think, and everyone shoots their own style. I think that's the most cool thing that I've seen over the last decade of how many unique creative photographers and artists there are. And follow your dreams. <laughs> as, as easy <laughs> yeah. as it kind of sounds to say, just follow what makes you happy. That's, you yeah. can't go wrong oh, with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good answer. Follow your dreams. I mean, it's, it's cheesy in some ways, but it's true. It's <laughs> yeah. the absolute truth. You have to follow it your is. dreams. And I think it the is. rest will follow in yep. good time. Okay, Matt, it was so fun talking to you. Thank you for sharing your tips on astrophotography and your journey. I was very excited to learn about it. And I'm so fulfilled. And I feel like I, I want to pursue it now and give it a try as well. So thank you for that inspiration. Well, I'm happy to be here with you guys. It's been an honor. Thank you. Matt's passion for astrophotography and nature is amazing. I appreciate how honest he was about his journey, and I'm inspired by all the tips that he shared. I hope you are as well. With the right camera knowledge, you too can take great nighttime pictures. See you next week. Once again, thank you to Sprout Studio for sponsoring this episode. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. <laughs>